This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Elie Girard. He's the executive chairman of Allison Bob. Elie Girard has over 20 years of experience in leadership positions at eight prominent companies, most notably as CEO and director at Atos and senior executive vice president at Orange. He's also served on many boards across the world. His academic achievements include graduating from Ecole Centrale Paris and Harvard University with master degrees in engineering and economics and statistics, respectively. His company, Allison Bob, is a French startup pioneering efforts to develop high-fidelity logical qubits based on cat qubits technology. Founded in 2020, Allison Bob has already raised 30 million euros in VC capital, hired over 80 employees, and demonstrated experimental results surpassing those of technological giants like Google and IBM. Allison Bob specializes in cat qubits, a technology pioneered by the company's founders and later adopted by Amazon. Cat qubits reduce the hardware requirements needed to build a fault-tolerant quantum computer by up to 200 times compared to competing approaches, as the company has demonstrated in their latest research paper. So welcome, Eli, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Very nice to be here. So I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. And my objective is twofold, to give our audience a sense of what you did before joining Alice and Bob, but more broadly to orient our listeners to the fact that there are many ways and different paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could share with our listeners a little bit about your background and your path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, and what you studied, and maybe some more detail about the work you were doing at the various companies uh, before joining Alice and Bob. Sure. I was born in the most beautiful city in, in, in France called Arles in the very south of the country near the Mediterranean Sea. I grew up there. I moved up to Paris at the age of 17 to uh, uh, do my prep school. Then I entered, as you said, uh, the engineering school called Ecole Centrale um, to become an engineer. But then I complemented that with uh, uh, some uh, years at Harvard University um, in statistics and economics. So I have a kind of double culture of engineering, which, by the way, in France covers mathematics, physics, chemistry, and quite generalist, and also some economic, financial, statistical knowledge. So I have this, this double culture. Then I in terms of professional um, curriculum, I, uh, I've, I've been in several institutions or companies, but if I had to pick up just a few, um, I spent quite many years in the uh, Ministry of Economics, Finance and Industry uh, here in, in Paris, uh, which may sound weird in other countries that, you know, having uh, this kind of <laughs> back and forth between the uh, um, public sector and private sector, but it's, it's more common here. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I enjoyed it at least at the beginning of my career because that gave me 
some sense on how the uh, decision making was made in the public sector, which is always useful, but not just in France, but in, I think in all countries in Europe, but I'm sure also in the States, um, and including in uh, in you know in the matters where. We are discussing today in quantum, in deep tech, where the support of governments is, is key, at least in the early days. Then uh, the second one I would pick is Orange, a large telco operator in, in, uh, in Europe, where I was uh, uh, heading the strategy for the group and uh, the mergers and acquisitions. I spent seven or eight years there. Um, I learned a lot about, you know, strategizing on technologies, especially in a context of these kind of these kind of animals, you know, telco operator, which uh, have to uh, reinvent themselves and renew their technological strategy. That has some links also with uh, with quantum. We can talk about that later. Okay. And uh, and the third one, and probably most Im- most importantly, uh, also because the most recent is that I was the CEO of a company called Atos. Uh, which is a uh, 12 billion euro revenue and 120,000 uh, people, IT services, digital services, very large uh, company around the world. Um, first country was the US, by the way, very international. Um, well, I think, you know, most important thing I learned there is, is management. But also uh, we had already uh, for the last, 10 years, a team starting on, on quantum activities. So it was not at all what we're going to talk about today with Alice and Bob, where, you know, who are really creating the technology, more assembling technology. But, you know, these are my first days and first links and taste with, with quantum. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for sharing that background. It's always fascinating to, to hear how people have gotten into it. And really, economics and engineering, uh, that's a Terrific combination for sure. So it sounds like you didn't really work in quantum necessarily before Alice and Bob, or at least not in sort of the technical aspect, but looking maybe for solutions or ways to apply it to client engagements in your role at Atos. So wondering, you know, given your extensive experience across Orange and Atos, you know, what made you decide to sort of plunge headfirst into quantum? And more specifically, you know, why did you select Alice and Bob as the right destination? With regards to quantum in general, I, I've been in tech, broadly speaking, for the last 15, 20 years, and I don't see anything close to quantum as a potential revolution uh, in a foreseeable future, meaning that I can expect to see myself before I die, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. uh, and... and, and yeah, and, and of course, there are so many exciting stuff around us talking about AI, gen AI, and, and all this. And I'm, 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 I'm literally excited about all that. But, but frankly, I think that quantum has a potential of change of paradigm and change of ways of thinking and mindsets in such a way that I, I, I don't see anything else close to this. Uh, now, why Alice and Bob? Well, you know, it's, well, I would say twofold. It's one is, you know, as you, you know, as always, it's, it's always about meeting people. And uh, yeah. I met with Theo Peronin and Raphael Lescan, who are the two co-founders um, of Alice and Bob, 
terrific physicists, but not just that, they are incredible uh, individuals. They have gathered around them and selected, recruited incredible individuals just like them with incredible values. And, uh, you know, I love them uh, very quickly and I, I thought I would uh, spend wonderful times with, with them. Now, on the second aspect, second dimension on, on the tech itself, and, and here we're entering into, into the matter itself, I, I, I would say the following. In my times um, at ATOS, so let's say I'm, I'm looking quite closely at the quantum computing evolutions for, let's say, eight, ten years. Right. It's been a race to a number of qubits. You know, with announcements all over the place every morning. Um, you know, we have a machine with uh, 52 qubits, and then it was uh, 300 and 400 qubits, and, and so on and so on. And we reached quantum supremacy and all those big announcements. Right. Always with number of qubits as the big title, the headline. But still, machines unable to do anything practical. And those guys, not really caring about that, but really working on the quality, on the fidelity, on the reliability of qubits. And when they created the company back in 2020, that was, you know, based on the research, especially of Rafael Descan, um, on error correction, error corrected qubits, which are special qubits called cat qubits, cat like a cat, right? like the Schrodinger cat, right? of uh -huh. course. Um, so cat qubits um, are really those qubits which are corrected for half of the errors, which make them very special and, and which make them very qualitative qubits. So that's what I liked, that we got rid, we would get rid of these um, not useless, but, you know, a little bit exaggerated raised to number of qubits, but really working on this reliability of each qubit. Going to logical qubits, I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yes. Um, uh, to, to concentrate on that and scale after that, once we do have the real right qubits we can work with. So just to echo your reaction to Teo and... Raf, I met with them when I was in Paris for the Quantum Business Europe event yep. in September. Very impressive, very smart, very focused gentleman for sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Ailey, given your role as chairman of a prominent up-and-coming quantum computing company, uh, I want to take advantage of this opportunity to pick your brain and ask you to share, and again, based on your background, you know, leading ATOS and working at Orange, you know, are there key points that every business person should know about the potential impact of quantum technology what advice would you but, give yeah that, that that's a great question because for many people in the industry or in the industries let's say so in in every sector yeah most of the people when you when you talk about quantum they look at that they're very interested they are intrigued they want to learn more but not for them they always think it's not for me you know it's <laughs> it's it's and it's, it's fascinating because with, with all our clients, the first discussions have always gone the same way. The discussion starts with, with CEOs of very large companies. Mm -hmm. they, they take the meeting because they are intrigued. 
they want to know more and they and they think you know at least i'm gonna have a a piece of you know a bubble of oxygen in the middle of my nightmare day <laughs> and yeah. i will learn something you know for my general culture and at the end of the meeting they understand that there's so many use cases that can be applied in their very business because the first thing i would say to your to your question is is that i think there is not a single industrial sector that escape use cases which are going to be decisive for the competitiveness of companies uh, developing in those sectors yeah it's really for for everybody now what i can say beyond that is you know you you probably have if we have to make a kind of taxonomy or, or categorization of use cases you've got four big categories where quantum computing is going to make a difference the first one is everything related to optimization problems second one is simulation when you want to simulate molecules for example yeah complex molecules the, the third one is ai and machine learning meaning that ai and machine learning are going to be boosted by by quantum um and the and the last one not the most interesting but probably probably the most that i mean the, the one that the media may like at first is uh, cryptography yeah for sure yeah everybody's talking about quantum for you know, cracking uh, cryptography and, and codes which which i think is a, is is a quite negative publicity to uh, to quantum as and, and and not representing the reality but that's another issue so yeah it's it's it is gonna it's gonna be a wide very wide impact in terms of sectors in terms of natures of issues it's gonna solve and the last thing i would say is that it's not for uh, 2080 it's we plan not just alice and bob but i think the entire sector is now planning for the first machines that would solve what i would call enterprise grade problems just by contrast with you know mathematical problems that are useless you know you can you can build a machine today that solves an equation that have designed on purpose to be solved by your quantum machine so right. it doesn't really advance humanity right yeah. so if i talk about enterprise enterprise grade problems so you know that will improve competitiveness of companies improve processes improve simulations of molecules etc it's it's probably in 3 to 5 years that's tomorrow that's really tomorrow yeah no that's great great advice again based on your role and you know as the top of this up and coming company that's obviously looking to work with clients and generate attributable revenue i want to get your take on you know where alice and bob sees early adoption maybe from uh, the perspective of a vertical specific application or geographic or even process I and mean, you mentioned sort of optimization the four sort of main categories but wondering you know if you could talk about you know where you see traction uh, happening early and maybe are there any client engagements you can share Certainly, you know feel free to anonymize them if need be but People are always interested in you know, what's happening in the market. Well, I would say the, the sectors which are where we see probably today the most traction, everything related to chemistry. You know, Theo says something I, I, I like and, and which, which means something real, which is that quantum is going to make chemistry an exact science. 
So remember that a, a physicist saying this about chemistry just to make, to, you know to to make a joke about his uh, friends uh, in in chemistry. But 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 still, it it it's I think it's a, it's an interesting sentence because it it means that everywhere and every time so far, including with AI, we're trying to imitate some molecules. To let, let me give, give you one example, if I may give just uh, uh, one figure. Yes, if, please. If you want to simulate a molecule or a protein of around 50, 50, 50 atoms, the number of parameters you need to compute is roughly 10 to the power of 85. This number is larger than the number of atoms you have in the universe. J just to give a sense of combinatorials that when when we start and, and and this is and quantum is all about that it's all about taking care of problems which totally escape the intuition you know when you think of a molecule or protein of 50 atoms it, it's big but it's not that big right it, it doesn't sound like a huge molecule but still you're multiplying little numbers between them but you're doing that so many times that you end up with 10 to the power of 85 parameters, which is more than the number of atoms in the universe. So then what I'm saying is, is right. Don't, don't try to find a, a mistake in that because the first reaction is, no, no, it cannot be right. It is, it is right, it, but it's normal. This is combinatorials. It escapes intuition. This is exactly where quantum uh, uh, arrives. Chemistry is clearly a domain where there is a lot of traction. When I talk about chemistry, you've got, you know, companies uh, which, uh, you know, are, are chemistry companies, but it, also, it is also the case in, 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 with some energy companies, you know, some renewable energies are based on chemistry recipes, if you like. So, so that's also quite a lot of traction, and we've done uh, a lot of work with a very large customer in the energy sector in that domain. Another domain that could be mentioned is finance. So, for example, with what we call quantum Monte Carlo um, algorithms, so to improve the pricing of options, that yeah, we're entering into you know financial uh, uh, technicity. But uh, you see what I uh, mean. Another one I could um, mention is. Uh, probably everything related to manufacturing and sometimes logistics, where we see also quite a lot of tractions. And and I could carry on, but but you know if I had to keep just just a few, these are the ones I I would mention. Yeah, no, thank you. I know the, that Alison Bob is focused on cat qubits, but again, I want to get your take on you know the numerous qubit modalities and you know what roles they might play, if any. So. For example, superconducting approaches have high gate speeds but short coherence times, plus they require complex cryogenic cooling apparatus. Uh, trapped ions offer extremely long coherence times but require ultra-high vacuum. I want to get your take on you know, whether there'll be different uses for different modalities, maybe in specific application settings. What's your yeah. perspective? You, you, I mean, some people say, and, and that's possible, that um, there may be a landscape of technologies uh, when they will mature, 
where some technologies will be better fit to resolve some kind of problems and some others with other kinds of problems. So that, that, that's a, a potential future. I think that superconducting, well, it's not, let's not say I, I think, let's, let's just give a, a, a figure, a constatation, which is that it, it's a fact that today 60% of the global investment in quantum hardware is done with superconducting technologies. So that they may be wrong, but I, I think I think it's an in, in interesting. No, I'm 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 not I'm not no, even that's, radical. I'm, I'm I no, that's I, a great... I mean it. I, I so I, let's say I, I'm I prefer to be on that side. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> a great data point to share for sure. Thank you. Yeah. So so that's that's one. I think that for the the, the past few months in the quantum ecosystem, broadly speaking, the approach of NISC, so noisy intermediate machines, has lost ground. And the FTQC, the full torrent quantum computing approach, so going directly to useful machines without going through a kind of intermediate state with NISC, um, has gained a lot of a lot of traction. So that's another dimension where you know I think is a is a sweet spot to be, and probably the last dimension I would I would talk about is the and and also which has gained a lot of traction in the last in the very last month is really the error correction. I think it's now becoming very clear to everybody in the uh, in the industry in the quantum industry in the quantum ecosystem that um, what has to be dealt with is escaping decoherence that's the big thing that's the next big thing i mean if, if, you, if you combine all those three dimensions you know that's why uh, you were asking me why i i joined alice and bob but alice and bob is combining all those three dimensions and has been combining those three dimensions before they have become so important so significant as it has happened in the last in the last few months. Thank you for sharing that. Let's get into the technical details just a little bit here. In February of last year, Alice and Bob published a paper demonstrating how to run Shor's algorithm with 350,000 cat qubits, an outcome that was 60 times better than the current state of the art, which would ostensibly require like 20 million qubits. Um, and in January this year, in fact, just a few days ago, you published a paper demonstrating how to run Shor's algorithm with less than 100,000 cat qubits. So for me, it begs two questions. First, how does the Alice and Bob solution allow you to deliver this level of performance? Um, and then secondly, again, what are the broader business implications for this kind of capability in terms of achieving you know, real-world quantum utility or even quantum advantage? I would say it's a combination of, of, uh, of, of two prowesses. The first one is, is about what a, a cat qubit is, really. So to make it simple, so every qubit has errors. That's why you need error correction. So in a, let's say a normal qubit, you need to correct for the errors that a qubit is making during a calculation. These errors are twofold. You've got what we call bit flips and what we call phase flips. And for normal qubits, so non-cat qubits, you have to implement 
what we call surface, surface code, which is two-dimensional code, to erase or partially erase the bit flips and the face flip errors. The novelty with the cat qubits is that natively uh, the bit flip dimension, the bit flip error, is fully or almost fully corrected by itself, by the design of the, the cat qubit itself. And you're left only with a one-dimensional error, which is the face flip, which allows you to run, instead of surface code, only a one-dimensional uh, error correction code. So that's, that's the first, that is the first uh, prowess. The, yeah. sec the second prowess, which is very recent and we've just published, um, is the use of LDPC codes, which means low-density parity check uh, error correction codes, on cat qubits. And those, th those special error correction codes improves much further the level of correction and therefore the re level of reliability of the cat qubits. Wow, fascinating. So thank you for explaining that. That's terrific. I'm sure our listeners are going to be taking copious notes <laughs> based on <laughs> your explanation. Ilya, another question is around sort of logical versus physical qubits. And I'd love to get your take on that. You know, to be candid, my sense is these definitions seem a bit imprecise today, um, resulting in many early claims about how to get to a truly logical qubit. Yep. Can you explain the relationship between physical and logical qubits and maybe how an application-ready logical qubit delivers value in a scalable way? Physical qubit is a physical qubit. I guess that, that, that's clear to everybody. So a logical qubit... Is, is, is a representation or is a virtual, is a combination of physical qubit leading to virtual qubit uh, with some uh, specific properties. So the definition that we are giving to a logical qubit is quite easy. It has two criteria. The first one is that the logical qubit has to have a level of error which is below the level of error of the physical qubit. That's an easy criterion, I mean, easy to understand criterion. But yeah. the second one is the most important and should make you understand what we call logical qubit. The second one is that with a logical qubit, you under the threshold of error so that every time you add an additional qubit, you will exponentially reduce the level of error, which means that in other terms, you can arbitrarily get to a very low level of error. It means that when you manage to build a logical qubit and you say, I want a machine getting to a level of error, which is, I don't know, 10 to the power of minus 8, you are able to do it just adding additional, additional qubits. You can arbitrarily get to the lowest error level you want. So that's really what, what, what logical qubit is about. But that requires to, to get, you know, there, there is a, a, a kind, another way to explain it, is that there is a, a kind of threshold which is such as if you are above that threshold and you add additional qubits, the level of error of the entire system diverges, increases, and if you are below this threshold, 
the more qubits you add, the lower the level of error is going to be. So the whole thing is to get below that threshold. And when you're below that threshold, then you're, you're there with the logical qubit. Yeah. And is there like a relationship, sort of a, a numerical relationship between logical and physical? I mean, I've heard some numbers described. You need X physical to get a viable logical yeah, that, that's that, that's that's a great question because, well, the first you know big milestone is to build a logical qubit. But you're right, the next very important milestone is manage to build logical qubit with a minimal number of physical qubit. Because if you need you know, hundreds of qubits to build a, a, a logical qubit, then how are you going to scale machines? And what is extremely interesting with the uh, uh, paper that Alice and Bob's team has just released is that they show that we're going to be able to build a machine with a hundred, one hundred logical qubits with only one thousand and five hundred physical qubits, which means a ratio of roughly fifteen physical qubits per logical qubit. Yeah, very exciting. And I'm just a Note to listeners, we're going to put a link to this paper, by the way, in the abstract as well as in the comments. So I encourage listeners to to track that down and, and read it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Ely, want to ask about any recent news you might want to share with our listeners? Are there you know, any recent contracts or planned product launches, executive hires, funding rounds, anything that might be of interest to our listeners? Wow, no, I mean, there are so many... That you can share, that so we have to things. sign an NDA to hear from, hear about? <laughs> you will find an NDA with a link below. No. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Please email it to Illy and, <laughs> and he'll no, tell so, you. So much is happening, but no, the, maybe the only thing I would uh, I would mention is is that we are uh, gathering a board of, of very high-ranked and famous names in the um, quantum ecosystem uh, who will advise uh, Alice and Bob on the direction of research will announce that I think in the coming weeks and there are really very impressive very impressive uh, professors and researchers extremely senior who will uh, who will help us uh, in in directing the the, the research and we're so proud uh, that they are you know, joining us in, in, in doing this. Yeah. Um, I can't give the names yet because yeah. you know, it, it's going to be in a few weeks, but, but it, it's, it's going to be something, something big. Great. No, I look forward to, to learning more and to hearing about the team you're assembling. Sounds very exciting. So I'd kind of referred to this before, but I always like to end the podcast. We're coming uh, to the conclusion here by asking my guests to share their personal vision of where quantum computing might be in three to five to seven to 10 years. And, you know, wax philosophic, look in your crystal ball, maybe, you know, what kind of broad impact do you think this is going to have on how we live and work? Uh, that's a great final question, of course. Uh, well, I think, you know, in three to five years, as I said earlier, I think we will have the first quantum machines resolving real problems that classical machines could never resolve. I don't think in three to five years I could say reasonably that people's lives are going to be changed by quantum computing, but the most important is that everybody will be convinced and will know 
then that quantum computing is going to change lives later. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks, Ili. Thank you for taking time to speak with me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you very much. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Um, point listeners to your website. It's alice-bob.com. Uh, invite them to follow the company on X, formerly Twitter, and on YouTube. The guidance is, you know, you can't miss them. Follow the black and yellow cat. Thanks, Illy, for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on your social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Illy. Uh, listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.